The elders at the beginning of the year wanted to bring the theme of bless to the church and, and see how we can bless others, bless each other. And we looked at using the Lord Jesus Christ. No better example as an example of how he blessed so we could bless like him. And we did that in the first term of the year. And we decided when we thought about that to look through the Gospel of John for those examples. You know, the Gospel of John's a very, very good Gospel. In fact, it's my favourite book of the Bible, closely followed by Romans and then First. No, it is. It is the, 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 the fascinating book. You can learn so much about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, but you can learn so much more about our relationship with him, our serving him, and how through making him known, people come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then be granted eternal life. There's nothing better than that. So, we came to the end of the term. We thought, what what are we going to do next? And there's so much good stuff in the Gospel of John. We thought, we just keep on going. We're not going to look at it with the theme of blessing others like that. We're just going to look at some things in chapters 14, 15 and 16 that will help you and me become better disciples. And if we do that, then we are going to bless others, no doubt. So that's why we're doing this series here. hope that's a clear explanation. Josh was going to do it, but he's not here. He's away on holidays. Lucky Josh. So the very first thing, if you could open your Bibles to John 14, I'd like to have that open. Uh, hopefully you've got the NIV version. Some people don't realise that the NIV has a number of revised editions and so forth, and there's a few different words. That's okay. We're still going to use the NIV this morning. In chapter 14, we have, from verse 15, it says there, the little subheading, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the promise of the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a couple of bites. It's mentioned a few times in this uh, portion of... uh, the book of John we're looking at. I'd also like to say that we're going to have um, David Wilson helping us with this as well and he'll be speaking about another part of the Holy Spirit and then there's another bit that we're going to do as well. So it's not going to be a talk on the Holy Spirit this morning in total, just an introduction because that's what it is, a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a few questions I'd like to ask you and and this man wanted to be challenged this morning. He's going to be challenged this morning. So will you and so will I. If you're not challenged this morning by what we're going to read and look at and discuss, there's something wrong. There really is. Do you love the Lord? Do you? Do you love the Lord? Of course Here I am in church on Sunday. Do you obey his commands? Uh, I I, I try, I try. 
Most of them, yes, most of them, most of them, do you obey his commands? That's a very important question. Do you struggle living the Christian life? Do you struggle? I struggle every day. Every day it's a struggle. Three very important questions that I think we need to answer this morning by the end of the service which will help us understand where we're at in our Christian journey and what our relationship is like with the Lord. You know, people talk about marriage. It's a, it's a, it's a terrific place to be in if you're happily married. But, you know, you can be in a whole number of different conditions within that marriage. You can be married and not talking to each other. You can be married and abusive to each other. You can be married and disrespectful to each other. You can be married and be devoted to each other. You can be married and you can love each other deeply. And it goes on. It's very much like that with our Christian walk. Very much like that. That's why the question is, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you keep, do you obey his commands? Sometimes you struggle in our marriage, don't we, us guys who are married? Sometimes we struggle in the marriage. Do you struggle in your Christian life? In chapter 14, we have seven promises. And I'm, I'm sorry that, that, that Con's not here because Con's into numerology. And seven. Oh, you are. Oh, oh that's, I got, see what happens, Steve? Good morning, Con and Maria. Sorry, I didn't. You know, that's not your seat. I know, I know. I almost went back to the wrong chair before. I know. Sorry, Con. Why is seven important? What's the significance of seven? That's it. The perfect number. So when you have seven of anything, that's the perfect biblical number. You know, I mean, I'm not really big into the numerology, but that's what it means. But here we have seven promises. In chapter 14, he says, uh, verse 3, he said he's coming back. The Lord says, I'm coming back. And then he says, he'll answer our prayers. In verse 14, he says, I will do it. Whatever you ask in mind, I will do it. And then he says, I, uh, he will ask the Father to give us something. And then he says to us, and he, the Father, will give you this thing, which we're going to talk about today. Then he says, he will never leave us or abandon us. I will come to you, he says in verse 18. Then he says that he will reveal himself to us. He says, I will show myself to him. The sixth one is that he will be with us and make our home with us, with him. And then the last one is he will give us peace, my peace I give to you. There are seven promises just in that one chapter, just the one chapter. And these these promises were all given in the upper room. Now that's significant because the upper room ministry of Jesus Christ, which is talked a lot about in, in John, is significant because that was the last occasion that the disciples had to, to spend some quiet time with the Lord and have a bit of a chat and talk about things, ask questions. 
It's the last time before the Lord went to Calvary. And so the things that he spoke about and the promises that he gave in the upper room were for the disciples of Jesus Christ, for them and for you and me this morning. Those seven promises, they're ours as well. Okay? Now, if you've got your Bible open, could you have a look at chapter 13? This is really important. Chapter 13 and verse 30. You know, you read the scriptures, you read the scriptures and you read it, the words, and you, you know. Have a listen to what this verse says. Chapter 13, verse 30. As soon as Jesus had taken, uh, Judas has taken the bread, he went out and it was night. So at one point, when they all went to the upper room, Judas Iscariot was there with them, with the Lord and the other disciples. Then there was the feet washing. We talked about that a few weeks back. And then they had the supper. And after the supper, they talked about some things and then Judas left. Now that's significant. Why is it significant? Because it's mentioned again in the next verse. Right? Have a look at that. I'm glad everyone looked down. It says there, when he was gone. Right? And what's after that? Jesus said. Who was he talking to? The real, true disciples. Judas was not there. I don't know about you, I I get excited when I discover those little things in Scripture. It's only for the disciples. Only for the disciples. It's very important. So they're the final words. And and this is a very special discourse the Lord has with his disciples. He tells them some things and they're troubled by it. They're anxious. We've read about that in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. It's going to be a difficult time for them coming up. It's going to be a confusing time for them leading up to the crucifixion. And so the Lord talks to them about something very important. And the first thing that we see in verse 15, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, establishes an unbreakable connection between love for God and obedience to his commands. Unbreakable. And it's always been like that, brothers and sisters, right from the very beginning, right from the Garden of Eden, right through the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, and it's pertinent to you and me today for the New Testament church, for this church at Montmorency Community Church. What does he say in verse 15? What does he say? The Lord says, if you love me, what sort of a thing is that to say? If you love me. Men, have you ever said that to your wife? If you love me, you wouldn't get any further than that, would you? But the Lord says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, that seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? 
it seems a little bit insensitive. It seems a little bit demanding, but it's not meant like that. It's not meant like that. It's not if you love me, you must obey what I command. You know, back in chapter 13 as well, the disciples were told something else. And I spoke to about this a few years ago where a new, the Lord gave a new command and he said there, as I have loved you, so you what? Must, must command, must love each other. But he doesn't use that terminology here. What does he say? He says, if you love me, you will, you will obey my commands. Obedience and loving the Lord is intricately connected here in these verses. Verse 15, verse 21, have a look at what that says. Verse 21, it says, um, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one, he is the one who loves me. I'm not saying this, brothers and sisters, this is the Lord himself saying it. Have a look at verse 28. It says there, uh, I am going away and I am coming back. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father and for, uh, for the Father is greater than I am. And then in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10 and verse 13, it talks about this, this, this love connection between the Lord doing what he's asking us to do, obeying his teaching, living out what he has instructed. You see, obedience, obedience to the things of, 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 of the Lord, the things of God, flow. They flow from love. Sometimes we live it as a duty. It's okay to do that. But love is the source from where obedience flows. That's why the Lord said what he said. If you love me, you will. You will obey my commands. However, however is another word for but. You know, there's always a but, isn't there? However. The Lord knows your heart, knows my heart. The Lord knows the human heart and is woefully incapable of obeying on its own. It really is. We have laws in the land, don't we? Why? Because we can't do the right thing without a penalty hanging over our heads. I wouldn't drive at 60Ks if if I wasn't worried about getting a fine. You know, I've got a high ace van, great motor in it. I love going home quickly, but I have to restrain myself. Not because it's the right thing to do, because it's the law. No, wrong one. Oh, I'm, in, I'm in big trouble. When I get home, I'm in so much trouble. All right, okay. So... The Lord, the Lord says to us that we can't live in obedience by ourselves. And so he promises, he promises the Holy Spirit. We cannot as Christians live as God intended us to live without 
the working of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and even in this little context of the upper room, if you think about the washing of the feet and the, and the Last Supper and all the rest of it, you can see it's quite evident that it's hard to ask, understand and live out what the Lord had already taught the disciples. And so now we need to have help. Now when you look at the, the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, you discover something really interesting. Just like God has many titles and names that describe his character and his work, just as the Lord Jesus has many names and titles that describe his character and his work, guess what? The Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, has a number of titles and names and symbols that describe his character and his work. And so we have to find out, don't we, who is this Holy Spirit? These guys had no idea. No idea. What does he do? No idea. How does he do it? I don't know. Sadly, we're not much more informed than what they were. Generally, as a church, I'm talking about the Christian church, we're very ignorant of the workings, the character of the Holy Spirit. Some have tried to overcompensate that ignorance. Some of us have ignored and neglected the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are, but I'm guilty of some of that. So we get to, we get to the number three promise the Lord talks about. And he says there in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor in my version of the NIV, it says, to be with you forever. Forever. Because we can't do this on our own. We cannot obey the commands of Jesus Christ, the commands of God on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. You know, when the Lord was here with his disciples, they said some stupid things. They did some dumb things. They asked some really ridiculous questions. You know? But the Lord was always there, wasn't he? Pull them back into line. Give them the right answer. Point them in the right direction. Give them the right instruction. He was there on the spot, guiding, leading his disciples, being an example, reminding them things from the Old Testament. That's what he was doing. And they were still struggling a little bit, weren't they? They still weren't quite getting the whole picture. But they were growing. They had a teacher, didn't they? A rabbi, they called him. Teacher. We know you're a teacher from God. When you look at the topic of the Holy Spirit, all those attributes, they're all attributes of the Holy Spirit too. All of them. But it's interesting here in this passage that what it talks about the, the, this, uh, this Holy Spirit that's going to come. It says that, that, that uh, he's going to ask the Father 
to give you another comforter. It says here, a counsellor rather. King James says comforter. The revised version of the NIV and and, uh, the RSV talk about an advocate. Other versions use the word helper. They all use all these different words. What did John write? Let's have a look. First of all, let's look at that word another. It seems like a very simple word, another. But the Greek word for another that's, that John used is alos. Oh, that's not said right, is it, Con? But that's how I'm going to say it. And it means another of the same kind. Not just another, a different one or another one, you know, it, but it's exactly the same kind of whatever it is that you're referring to. For Jesus was a counsellor. Jesus was an advocate. Jesus was a helper. Jesus was a comforter. Jesus was a teacher. He was a guide. So he's going to ask his heavenly father to send what? The same kind the same kind of comforter, advocate, helper, teacher, guide as he is. I think that's beautiful. And the word in this version of the NIV, counsellor, you may have, uh, you had advocate, didn't you? You may have comforter in yours, it doesn't matter because the Greek word is always the same. It's the same Greek word. Parakletos, again, that's probably not said right. I apologise for our Greek friends. What that means is to come alongside, not just to come alongside, but to come alongside to assist, to help. And and the beautiful thing about this is that the Holy Spirit is mentioned right through the New Testament by all the writers, but only John, only the Apostle John, The beloved apostle, John, uses this word to describe the Holy Spirit. Fascinating, isn't it? He uses it a lot in in his his letters as well. But only the apostle John refers to the Holy Spirit as a paraclete, one who comes alongside to assist. Now, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit does not work instead of you and me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't make you a better Christian. He doesn't make you a better disciple. He doesn't make you be obedient. He doesn't work instead of us. Right through the New Testament, you never read of any of the writers encouraging the Holy Spirit to do anything. It's always me. I have to pray. I have to, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't, doesn't work instead of us. He doesn't. Nor does he work in spite of us. You know? He doesn't, you know, 
the Spirit tells me, Ralph, you know, you should read, you should read the Bible this morning. You know, read the Bible. And I'm thinking, I don't want to, do, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to read it today. I'm not going to read it tomorrow. I'm not reading it next week. So, do you think I would learn anything out of the Gospel of John if I didn't read it? No. The teacher, the Holy Spirit, who is there to help me understand, do you think he's going to give me some special revelation out of the Gospel of John without reading it? It's not going to work, is it? Sadly, I can ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings. I have to confess I've done it. Sadly, I can actually rebel against the Spirit's promptings. Again, I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to confess I've done that too. I can actually reject. I can say, nah, not doing that either. I've done that too. And it really upsets me to think that I've also grieved the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as powerful as he is, is very passive. He'll point out the way I should go. He's got the information that I need to learn from the scriptures, understand what I, what I need to live the Christian life, to be a good disciple. He's got, he's got the, the ability to tell me and show me what pleases the Lord and how I could do that. But he doesn't force me to do any of that. Nothing at all. But what the Holy Spirit does do, he works in us and he works through us. He does have the power, he does have the knowledge and the wisdom. He is a comforter and that word comforter means to come alongside, to help with strength. You know, that's what you want. You don't want a helper that can't help you. You know, if I've got, I ring my brother from time to time to help me carry the 1200 by 2 metre shower screen panels, which are 10 mil thick, extremely heavy to carry, especially upstairs. My wife, Steve, said to me occasionally, I could help you. No. You know those big windows? You know those big windows? You've got to lift up and put them into place. You don't want your nine-year-old grandson coming along to help you. What do you want? You want, you want, I remember having Chris. Where's Chris? Chris? Not here. There he is. I remember getting Chris, asking Chris to help me. You know why? He's big. He's taller than me. He's strong. You know, that's the sort of helper we want. That's what the comforter is. That's what it means. He's also the encourager. He inspires us. He inspires us to become Christ-like. He doesn't force us. And he's an advocate. He represents us before God when we do do all those things I've mentioned, which I've done, and maybe you've done them too. Verse 17 is the spirit of truth. And that's the first thing that we learn about the, this, this, uh, this uh, sorry, the first title that we get that tells us who he is, himself. Not what he does, because the comforter, the counselor, it's what he does for us, it's his task. But the spirit of truth is an interesting title. You know, there are 13 titles of this Holy Spirit. He's known as, that's not up on the screen. 
He's known as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Eternal Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation. He's known as the Comforter, the Spirit of Promise, the Spirit of Adoption, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Faith. Thirteen titles. What's the first title that the Lord reveals to us here? Not his task, but his first title. He's the spirit of what? Truth. Brothers and sisters, that's got to be significant. Why is that significant? Because the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is, is intricately connected, related to Jesus Christ. One of those little titles, I don't know if you kept up, one of my favourite titles is he's known as the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8 and 9. I love that. Do you know that I have, and if you're a believer, you have the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. Can you believe that? Do you realise that? The Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. And so that spirit is, is intricately connected to Jesus Christ, who is the what? I am the way to truth and the life. And the Holy Spirit <laughs> inspired the writing of the Word of God, which is what? The truth. Can you see the connections here? Can you see how, how indivisible the Godhead actually is? The Holy Spirit inspired the, the word of God. It inspired the word of God. He illuminates the word of God. You know, he inspired its writing. He knows the author. So if you've got a question about what you, what do I think God wants me to do here? He's here to illuminate you. He's the teacher of the word of God. You can't get a better teacher than that. And he teaches the word of God. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And you know what? He cannot lie. He cannot be associated with any lies. That's why it's important to know the truth. And he never leads us contrary to what the Bible says. Never, ever. So if you're in a situation where you're not sure what to do and you read a passage and you think, oh, is that, is that really what I should do? Yes. Don't even think about it. Yes. If the Spirit indicates to you that that's what the Scripture says, believe it. He's the teacher. A lot of people talk about being filled of the Spirit. Great, great subject. You go on about it for a long time. But to be filled with the Spirit is the same as being controlled by the Word of God. That's what it means. If the Spirit has full reign in your life, if your heart is overflowing with the Spirit's guidance, leading, encouragement, then you are leading a life that's obedient to God. That's in line with what's written in the Bible. Let me ask you again. Are you struggling with living the Christian life? 
The spirit of truth uses the word of truth to guide us into the will and the work of God, nothing else. If the preacher, any preacher, even this preacher, tells you something, it's not in here, in the scriptures, don't bother listening. It's just my opinion. It's no better than Rob's opinion or Steve's opinion. But if it is in the scriptures, it's no one's opinion. It's God's word. It's his words. Even the Lord in this passage says that. The things that he's saying come from the Father. From the Father. Not from Facebook. We learn some other interesting things in this passage. The Holy Spirit, we read, comes and dwells in the true believer in Jesus Christ. That's why it's such an important thing that we read John 13, 30 and 31. Judas wasn't there. He was not there. So it could be confusing, couldn't it? If, if, if Judas had been there, oh, did Judas have the Holy Spirit? Didn't the Holy Spirit tell him that he should? He wasn't there. That's why when you talk to your unsaved friends about the scriptures, they struggle to understand what, what, you're, what you're on about. They think you're crazy. Why? No, no spirit inside them helping them to understand the way God thinks. Value God's morality. It makes sense now, doesn't it? I think it does. We also learn in verses 7 to 18 that it is a, a gift from the Father, not to you and me, but a, but a gift of, from the Father, from Jesus Christ. Because the Lord asked the Father to give you, to give me the gift. He's, he's acting in response to his son saying, Father, I ask you to give them another comforter. And have a look at the confidence of Jesus. What does he say? Uh, uh, oh, lost it, sorry. Uh, and he will give you another comfort, the confidence of Jesus Christ. And then it talks about that the Spirit then what? Comes and dwells in us. That's so radical for these people. The Holy Spirit rarely indwelt everybody. Maybe a special few people in the Old Testament that God wanted a special task for them to do and they needed that extra help to do it. They needed the Holy Spirit and they, and, and, and they came and dwelt in them. Sometimes it dwelt upon them. But I'll tell you what, it never stayed there forever. Never. David was terrified that the Spirit of God would be taken from him. Read it in Psalm 51. Terrified. And having the Holy Spirit makes us belong to Jesus Christ. From this point on, you start to see John referring to his own. Who are they? Those who have the Spirit. And then the world. That's everybody else. And then you also see that, 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 that once this happens... But these people that have the spirit, they become mortal enemies of the world. Not because we hate the world, because the world hates us, 
hates the spirit, hated the Lord, opposes the gospel. And then he says, he will not leave us as orphans. Great word, Dad. Now let's remember that this is in the context of the Middle East, over 2,000 years ago and longer. That actually means, when you look up that Greek word for orphans, it means fatherless. Fatherless. I will not leave you fatherless. Why is that important? In that day, and I think it's today too, the father was the source of the wealth, the position, the head of the family, a position of authority. The, the whole family revolved around the father. And, and they believed or, or, or the, the society uh, said that if you lost your father, even though your mum was still alive, you were an orphan. It was as if you, had, you, you were an orphan. That's not how we see things today. But just I'm going to take a moment here. Our society today is in the state that it's in is because there are so many fatherless homes in two ways. One, physically they're not there. I'm not saying mums don't do a great job. They do, but it's hard. It's a two-person job being a parent, two-person job. That's the ideal. That's, that's what God decided to, it would be like. And then there's the, the fathers that are there, but they're not real fathers. They go out, make money. They're not being fathers. The society that we have today is in the state that it's in because we lack fathers as God intended them to be. Okay, back to the text. There's no need for a Christian to feel abandoned or alone or feel helpless or be anxious because that's what these guys were thinking. The Lord had told them he was leaving. The teacher is leaving. Our God, our rabbi is leaving. It's not going to happen, guys. I'm going to send you another comforter. It's a comforting experience, you know, to, to know that the Lord dwells in you, no matter where you go. We heard that from, from Rob Coyle yesterday. Wherever you go, whatever circumstances you're in, if you're the only Christian at the MCG, the Lord's there with you. Unless, of course, you're buried for calling. No. <laughs> but seriously, that's true. Wherever you go, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the middle of the Simpson Desert on your own, the Lord is there with you, in you. It doesn't matter what time of day, you know. Parents like to switch off, yes. You can't, but you'd like to switch off, and sometimes we do. The Lord never switches off, 24-7 available for you. And here's the bit I like the best. He's for me. He's on my side. He's inside. You know, it's always an advantage to have someone on the inside. That's a, that's a saying, isn't it? I have an inside man. It's an advantage to have someone on the inside. And we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ on the inside. On that day in verse 20, it refers to the day of Pentecost. When, the, when this promise, 
Because remember, it's just a promise. When this promise actually happens, you know, you we've read it. We studied a few months back, late last or middle of last year, I think it was, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Go home and read about it again. The spirit, this promise is fulfilled in Acts 2. Great event. But have a look at verse, uh, verse 21. Once again, well, this is all very exciting. Once again, he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. So with all this talk of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling and all the benefits we're going to get for it, the Lord is taking us back again to the similar phraseology as in verse 15. You've got the commands. Is it enough? I think it's good to have them, but what's the point if we don't obey them? And so the Lord again reminds us that if we have the commands and we live them out, follow them, as the Spirit prompts us, it demonstrates, it demonstrates to us, to the Lord, that we love Him. You know, love is, is a basis for our relationship with God. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. His love for us was manifested, was it not? It was demonstrated. It was proven. It was shown. Whatever term you'd like to use, they're all in the Scriptures. How? In the giving of his son. John tells us that in 1 John chapter 4. What about our love for him? Is it enough just to lip service? I love you, Lord. We sing it. How is it demonstrated? Let me read you something. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is the love for God, to obey his commands. His commands are not burdensome. You know, that's how we tell God that we love him. That's how he sees that we love him. It's here and it's right through the scriptures. Verse 23. Again, let me just remind you, I'm just reading from the scriptures. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Written in red. Meant as a message for his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And this is, I'm going to sort of finish with this. I've got a lot more, but I've gone on too long. Yes? No. Uh, I want you to notice something here. Look at this. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father then will love him. And we, the Lord and the Father, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I'd love to spend a couple of weeks on that verse with you. I really would. That is that is so challenging. What's the difference? I know there's some people here. I know there's people here that know the answer to this. What is the difference between a home 
and a house. Eh? What's the difference? Anyway? Come on, come on, Elijah, you know. Come on, what is it? <laughs> All right. Next door, next door to this church, there is a house. It's not a home. It's a house. A home is the place in which one's domestic affections are centred. A home is where a family live together, well, of course, you know, with love and affection and care and respect for each other. That's a home. A house is a residence for humans, a building for any purpose. This is a house of worship, not a home. But the Lord used the word home here, didn't he? Not a dwelling, not a house, not a residence, not even a temple. Do you think it was a mistake? Do you think the Lord couldn't think of a better word? He knew exactly what he meant. Some Christians don't like coming to church. I don't understand that, but it's true. Some people don't, some Christians don't like reading their Bible, you know. I don't like to, I'm not a good reader. I don't care. I was not a good reader. Some Christians don't like attending a Bible study group, you know, conflicts with MKR, same night. It's going to be really interesting this week, isn't it? No, no. Um, I go to a Bible study group, all right. Some Christians don't like fellowshipping with other believers. I like church, I love God, I don't like the other Christians in my church. I've heard that from people in this church. All right. Some Christians don't like serving each other. Why is that? Why is that? Verse 24 is the reason. I've broken it. Verse 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Is your heart a home for the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that because, you know, a believer, when he's saved, they get the Holy Spirit. It's guaranteed. It's a seal. He has a lot of other functions as well. But does he just reside there or is that place a home for the Holy Spirit where you interact? Do you love the Lord and obey his teachings? That's the why you obey his teachings? Because we can do the things that are in the Bible out of duty, but it's different if you're doing it out of devotion and out of love. As you yield to the Father and obey his word, the Holy Spirit takes control in our lives and uh, we have a deeper and more meaningful relationship. You know, we just heard about a wedding celebration. I can't get this to move, guys. Can I just have the last slide? Um, We heard about the wedding celebration. That's just brilliant because that means that there's, there's been love there. There's been struggles but they've overcome them. There's been respect. There's been devotion. 
and it's ongoing and it's a deep, strong relationship. Is that what our relationship looks like with, with the Lord? A, a quote from Warren Wiersbe that I found in my reading. This is beautiful. This is what this sums up what, I've, what is, we've just read. Salvation means we are going to heaven. When you trust Jesus Christ, you have salvation. It means you are going to heaven. But submission means that heaven comes to us, living in us. The Father and the Son, through the Holy Spirit, they come and make a home in your heart, in your life. I trust this will be a blessing to you. I hope that it inspires you, challenges us all. Those three questions. Do we love the Lord? Do we obey his commands? And that will tell us why and if we are struggling in our Christian life. May the Lord bless.